All righty, good morning. If you'll find your seats. We are continuing our study in the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith. We are on part three and the final, uh, the conclusion of the civil magistrate, the confession's teaching on the civil magistrate. I know, this is, this is really a sad moment for y'all, right? I mean, I'm sure you just torn up that this is our last Sunday school on the civil magistrate, but there is more to come in the confession, just not on this issue. So, uh, but let me open with a word of prayer before we begin. Father, thank you so much for, uh, again, the opportunity to gather as uh, the people, uh, your people, Lord, um, the ones that you have called before the foundation of the earth, that uh, we might be um, blessed and saved through your son. Um, And so, Lord, we just um, pray that you would bless our time together and that you would help us to um, understand not only with our uh, minds, but also with our hearts, um, what it means to submit to lawful authority and uh, to ultimately understand that, Lord, you are king over our lives and over this world, and you work all things together for our good. So, Lord, we pray for all these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. All righty. So, again, continuing our study on the civil magistrate, we are on part three. And so far, what we have gone through is we've gone through section one and two, talking about the ordaining of the civil magistrate, as well as the Christians being involved in government. And again, I want to state this from the the get-go, that these discussions that we are having, they're meant to be discussions, not necessarily me saying, hey, here's my opinion on things, right? The confession leaves a lot of these issues open to interpretation and to discussion. Um, we live in a time where this topic of submission to government authorities does not only divide uh, America, does not only divide our nation, but it divides churches. How do churches respond to differences of opinion on submitting to government? And so I think as we encounter these discussions, we have to encounter them uh, humbly. We have to uh, encounter them with the sense that we don't know everything, that um, the scripture lays down principles for how to deal with the government, and yet it doesn't give us specific examples, right? The Constitution is not in the Bible. Surprise, surprise. The Pledge of Allegiance is not in the Bible, and how to um, think about those things. And so we have to look at these principles, and we have to uh, use wisdom and pray about these issues. I think one theologian remarked, and I I thought this was kind of funny, that when you're about to get punched in the face, it's not time for a Bible study, right? You got to respond quickly. And so as we think about, you know, right, Scripture says, if you get uh, hit, turn the other cheek, right? But are we to do that as a a government? Um, Not necessarily. And so that's where the wisdom is involved, right? And we need to be thinking about these things because we are in a time where our nation is relatively at peace, at least we're at peace where we live, um, but that may not always be the case. So we've got to prepare for those things. So a little bit of review, we'll do this quickly because we've got a lot to get to. There we go. Okay, so we talked about some of the spiritual foundations to the subject, right? Acknowledging God's power, Christ's kingship, Uh, the Holy Spirit's desire to give us wisdom as we think about these things, 
and then the understanding that the Christian life and really the life of the church is about suffering and not necessarily about us reigning in this day and in this age right now through the nations. We talked about some of the historical differences between the Reformed Confessions of Faith, between the Westminster, between the Savoy, between the 1689 Baptist. We also uh, talked about the civil magistrate's ordination by God. So this is the first paragraph in chapter 24 where the confession lays down that the government is instituted by God, it's ordained by God, with the power of the sword to punish evil, right? So that involves capital punishment, right? The, the purposeful ending of individuals' lives for the sins they commit. You see that in Exodus. Um, it includes the power of the sword to defend the nation, right? To enact war, and we'll talk a little bit more about that today. That we talked about God's moral and natural law, which determines the law of magistrates, right? It's not just this ethereal, you know, whatever we want to decide um, is a law unto ourselves, right? It is God's law. It is the moral law written on our hearts that we see in Romans 2.15. And then finally, we looked at chapter or paragraph two of the confession, which said Christians can lawfully serve in government. So we looked at some of the Old Testament examples of that, David. Nehemiah, Joseph, um, all the way to John the Baptist and Jesus, how they interacted with the tax collectors and the soldiers, right? They didn't tell them to not do their job. They told them to do their job justly, righteously. So today we're going to finish, and what we got up ahead is we're going to continue our discussion on just war. So the, the confession says that we can, as Christians, right, uh, dutifully go to war. There's a righteous cause for war. And then we're going to talk about subjection to the magistrate for our conscience sake. And then we're going to talk about resisting tyranny, right? Is there, yeah, we've got some nods. That's the fun stuff. Should we resist tyranny? When can we resist tyranny? What does scripture say about that? So, just war. We had some questions on that that we really didn't get to uh, last week. But the confession in chapter 2 says that we can uh, commit, well, let me actually, do I have a slide? I forgot to put in the slide. That's unfortunate. But either way, uh, the confession in chapter 2 says that we can commit war on just and necessary occasions. Um, and the previous, previous paragraph, which actually I think is from chapter 2. This is a mistake. Let me read real quick. Let me read. Paragraph 3 from the Confession, and if you have it in front of you, you can follow along. It says, It is lawful for Christians to accept the office of a magistrate when called thereunto, in the management whereof, as they ought especially to maintain justice and peace, according to the wholesome laws of each kingdom and commonwealth. So for that end... They may lawfully now, under the New Testament, wage war upon just and necessary occasions. So right there, under just and necessary occasions, what does that mean? Well, the previous paragraph, paragraph number one, says that the government is instituted for the defense of them that do good, right? So we can think of one obvious uh, instance where we would be called to war is if someone comes and attacks us, if someone is the aggressor. Right? That one's fairly obvious. There's not much pushback. Right? Uh, maybe your extreme pacifist might push back against that. 
but most individuals would not see anything wrong with defending yourself against another invading country. This kind of gets to the personal versus public duties in relation to the sixth commandment, you shall not murder, right? You shall not murder is not necessarily you shall not kill ever, right? We see in Exodus 21, right after God institutes these Ten Commandments, that he gives lawful reasons for the judges to uh, kill individuals who have sinned, uh, who have committed uh, crimes that are deserving of murder. And so there is a lawful, uh, lawful reasons to kill, and one of those would be during war, obviously. And so, but we do need wisdom in defining defense in our modern age. So this, it doesn't necessarily free us up, okay, well, if someone attacks us, right, then we can defend no matter how we want, right? Um, this was one of the discussions with the atomic bomb, right? How do we uh, defend ourselves justly, righteously? So we're not off the hook. We do need wisdom. And that's why we talked about James 1.5. If anyone lacks wisdom... He should ask God, and it will be given to him. Um, it's important. We even see that, in, right? We talked about that last week in Acts 17, where Paul utilizes, you know, the wisdom of even the Greek poets to interact with the Athenians, right? So we, we need wisdom in order to interact with uh, possibly non-Christian governments on how and when to wage war. And obviously, the church is not a nation-state theocracy like Israel. We are called to live in the nations peaceably. We're called to disciple the nations, to preach the word to the nations. Um, but we're not called to be Israel as, as a nation-state theocracy. And Augustine is one of the individuals that really started this uh, teaching on just war. War must be declared by the magistrate not the church, he says. And here's, here's a quote that will probably clear this up a little bit. He says, What is the evil of war? Is it the death of some who will soon die in any case, that others may live in peaceful subjection? This is merely cowardly dislike, not any religious feeling. The real evils in war are love of violence, revengeful cruelty, fierce and implacable enmity, wild resistance, and the lust of power, and such like. And it is generally to punish these things when force is required to inflict the punishment, that in obedience to God or some lawful authorities, good men undertake wars. A great deal depends on the causes for which men undertake wars, and on the authority they have for doing so. For the natural order, which seeks the peace of mankind, ordains that the monarch should have the power of undertaking war if he thinks it's advisable, and that soldiers should perform their military duties in behalf of the peace and safety of the community. So just war is a you know, massive topic, right? Christians have debated that for you know, ever since Augustine, before Augustine. Um, but we see in Augustine's writings, right, that just war, first of all, has to be instituted by the magistrate, right? We can't declare war ourselves individually, right? And this goes back to uh, Romans 12, vengeance is the Lord's, or Genesis 4, where he says, if anyone seeks vengeance on Cain, I will repay him sevenfold, right? 
So if God has instituted the magistrate or the government for the defense of us, then they are the ones that are to declare war, not us. And then Augustine gets at, you know, the real evils in war is not just about, you know, killing individuals for your defense, but it's about the love of violence, right? Revengeful cruelty. It's going too far uh, in war. And that's where it probably separates the Christians from non-Christians in wars. We would go just so far to defend ourselves, whereas non-Christians might go as far as to conquer other countries and, and nations just for the you know, thirst of power um, and the desire for riches and that kind of thing. Any questions in regards to just war? No, we're like flying through that topic. There's so much there. But any, any questions? Yes, Pastor Nathan. We talked a little bit about this last week, but I think the, our doctrine of just war really depends upon a separation of church and state. Because if the church is in charge, I mean, if you're going to really, if, if the new covenant is the covenant which governs the nations and the state, you're going to have a hard time coming up with any sort of just war. Uh, why would you ever commit murder except in the most extreme cases? Um, or why would you kill, I should say. Murder is different than killing. But, um, you know, understanding that the, the Lord in the way covenant instituted a covenant of common grace and said, if a man takes a life, his life shall be taken. And in the New Testament, that the state bears the sword. He's a minister of God. He's called a deacon of God. Uh, obviously, he's not a deacon of Christ. He's not a deacon of the church. He's a deacon of God and the state. And um, only in that respect, separate church and state can you actually have a doctrine of just war. That's why pacifists, they argue, you know, they're conscientious objectors. They argue typically on the basis of acting as though the state is the church. Mm-hmm. We, can't, we can't be aggressive for anybody. Yep, absolutely. Great, great comment. And that's kind of gets to the discussion of, you know, I mean, he talks about that soldiers should perform their military duties on behalf of the peace and safety of the community, right? And so he's basically, he's going against pacifism and pacifist Christians. And we know that in history, the Anabaptists were historically very against any sort of civil government um, involvement by Christians. And certainly that meant the army. But if we think about, you know, how do we resist governmental tyranny? Can we do that best by serving in the military and then refusing to do unjust actions? Or can we do it best by just saying, well, we're out. We're going to be peaceably out of the military, right? I think we need Christians in military so that they can resist tyranny in the military and not just to be like, I'm out. You know, I peaceably, you know, uh, I, I believe that scripture's commands to not murder means completely do not murder even though ignoring the fact that all throughout Scripture there is justified, you know, killing. So, yes, Mary. So, I feel like in history, we need to look back and see, like, what wars were just to come from maybe, like, not the best thing ever to be involved in. And so, like, as Christians, obviously, we don't have that hindsight when we're in the middle of something. And so, like, with wars, because it's, like, countries and millions of people being involved Involved in like when maybe it 
Yeah, that's a great question. And that, that's, to be honest, can't answer it in some ways, right? I mean, how do we know when we are in a just war? Because it's very difficult, especially today with the technology that we have, right? I mean, you can wage war just from a computer. Um, and I think that that's where the difference of, I think that's where the, the wisdom has to come involved um, and prayer and reliance, and, and especially reliance, like the confession says, on your conscience and understanding what's right and wrong. Because in Mosaic times, it was just God told us to go to war. Okay, cool, go. Uh, but that's not, we can't utilize that anymore, right? We're not necessarily going to have a sign in the sky from God saying go to war with this country. Um, and so it's a lot more uh, difficult. But that's why I think it is important for Christians to be in the military because they can, they're on the ground. They, they know, hey, this is just or this is unjust. Whereas we back home probably don't know that. You know, we're, we might not be as well informed. Uh, yes, Richard. That's a great comment, and it just kind of depends. I mean, world wars, right? World wars. Um, there's times where even within that one big war, there might be a just, you know, defense, and then there might be, hey, we're just being bloodthirsty, and we really want to get, you know, uh, more land and more power. So it's just really difficult uh, discussions there, which is why just war is such a vast, vast topic. Um, and just to conclude that, right, chapter 3 of the Confession, where we're going, talks about right in the middle that we yield to government authorities, that we yield to the civil magistrate for conscience' sake, right? So it's, the Confession understands that these issues are not black and white, that they are gonna, we are going to have to deal with that within our own consciences of right and wrong. Um, and not to get too far ahead, but... You know, Romans 14, I think, is, it's kind of nice that Romans 14, which talks about uh, the conscience in the Christian life, not in necessarily regards to war, in regards to political stuff, but in regards to the Jew-Gentile divide, but it still informs our understanding of the differing views and, and consciences of Christians in regards to the political um, divide and war. And it comes right after the talk and the discussion of Paul on the civil magistrate in chapter 13. So you have chapter 12 in Romans, vengeance is the Lord's. Romans 13, which talks about, you know, be subject to the civil magistrate. And then Romans 14, all right, here's how to defer with other people in the church in, in regards to conscience. All right, so paragraph three of the confession is the Christian submission to the state. The civil magistrates being set up by God for the ends aforesaid, which is, right, the defense of good 
and the promotion of good and the punishment of evil. So we are, as Christians, to subject ourselves. Subjection in all lawful things commanded by them ought to be yielded by us in the Lord, not only for wrath, but for conscience sake. And we ought to make supplications and prayers for kings and all those in authority, that under them we may live a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. So, there's two reasons we see here in the confession on why we are to submit to governmental authorities. Two reasons, right? The first one is the wrath of God. God's wrath is poured out on those who disobey his ordained authority, right? Um, So if he has ordained the civil magistrate, then obviously he is going to uh, have wrath and judgment against those who do disobey the civil magistrate and his governing authority. Um, We see that in Proverbs 17.11. An evil man seeks only rebellion, and a cruel messenger will be sent against him. Right? So an individual who's classified as evil by God is someone who seeks only rebellion, rebellion against authority. And then Genesis 4.15, if anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. Right? So it, it's not good for an individual to uh, resist unlawfully. Right? We're not talking about all resistance, but at, at least resist unlawfully and for their own gain um, against the civil magistrate. So that's why the confession says, not only for wrath's sake do we submit to the civil magistrate. But there's also another reason, right? That's the first reason. The second reason is, but for conscience sake, right? For the Christian's conscience. The conscience is, you know, throughout scripture is that inner understanding of right and wrong, right? It's, it's that uh, inner voice that tells you, hey, this action that I'm doing is wrong or I don't feel good about this, and therefore I should stop, right? And this conscience is written on, you know, everybody, Christians and non-Christians, have consciences, as Romans 2 talks about. We are all uh, born with the law of God written on our hearts. Uh, We have no excuse. But Christians uniquely have a conscience that's informed by Scripture, right? We go to Scripture to inform our conscience. We want to live under the law of God. And be informed by that. So that's why it's important that we submit to the civil magistrate. So that we are not uh, scalding our conscience right, by going against God's ordained authority. And as Christians, that should be a unique uh, pleasure and an opportunity for us to display us yielding our conscience to Christ. Right? Um, Romans 14b says, For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. All right, so that's what we should be worried about as Christians. Ultimately, our worry should be, is this right or wrong? Not, is this going to preserve my life? Is this going to preserve my health? Is this going to uh, preserve my, um, you know, riches and everything, right? It's not self-preservation. Our ultimate desire is, is this right or wrong? Um, And so again, those are those two reasons, right? To submit to the state for the wrath of God against those who openly rebel, and then for conscience sake, for our understanding of right and wrong.
How will we answer to God on our behavior towards his divinely ordained magistrate? That's what we should be thinking. Um, right after that, Romans 14, I think 11, he talks about every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord, right? So as Christians, we have to live in light of that truth, that every knee ultimately will bow before Christ. And so that's how we respond to tyranny and to the governmental um, institutions and to oppressive governments is that understanding that ultimately everyone will bow the knee to Christ. Any questions in regards to that? Yes, Kathy. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, so Kathy is asking the question. She is right on target, right? So what do we do? How do we resist the civil magistrate, right? If the civil magistrate is unjust, right, how do we respond as Christians, right? Yes, to submit, um, but that doesn't mean in all ways, right? Um, so that, that's my question, right? When is it okay to resist the civil magistrate? Specifically, if the civil magistrate is unjust or oppressive or cruel or tyrannical, right? When is it okay to resist? Yes, Sam. That's great. Yeah, so Sam's saying, okay, well, obviously we are to resist if the civil magistrate tells us to do something against the law of God, right? So you gave uh, abortion as an example, right? If we are to promote abortion or be okay with abortion, the killing of innocent life, then obviously that would incur resistance. What other examples, right? We could say, okay, obviously if he disobeys God, but what, what are some examples of that, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's correct, but maybe we think a little bit more and deeper on that. Can you think of any? Yes, Richard. Mm-hmm. Which calls on you to be bitter towards them to react in an 
That's a great comment. Yeah, I love that. I mean, even, even if you decide, okay, it's against the law of God, now how do I, as a Christian, resist? That's the big discussion. And then, I, I mean, I love your comment, right, on prayer. We see that um, with uh, uh, Daniel, right, where, you know, the king was like, you can't uh, bow down or pray before, you know, other gods. you got to just pray to me. And he's like, nope, I'm going to go leave the window open and pray to God three times a day. Um, and so prayer is one of those, you know, biggest aspects of we are acknowledging Christ and we are acknowledging God as king and not um, ultimately over Caesar and over our governmental authorities. But yes, to get, to get back to the question, right, when is it okay to resist the civil magistrate, right, it's, if it's against God's law, then the question is how do we resist, right? Yeah, Pastor Nathan? Is it okay to resist if there's taxation without representation? Yes, oh man. It's going to bring up the, I mean, I wasn't going to bring up the Revolutionary War, but I mean, you wanted to throw that out there, so. But that's, I think. Yes. And that's a great discussion because we could all say, well, if we were back in that day, you know, what would we do? But it, we aren't, right? We're, we're, we don't live during those times, but we still live under what some might consider unjust taxation. I mean. We just did our, you know, self self employment taxes, and boy, oh boy, you know, woo, yeah. So, can we resist if they tax us too much? Dalton. Yeah, it wasn't simply taxation, right? They were, they were also being called to uh, room and board British soldiers, if I remember correctly. So there's some of that, too. Um, uh, but yes, Matthew. Yeah, so it's important that you uh, try peaceably to resolve the issue and don't just go straight to revolt and insurrection. Absolutely. That's a great point. Yeah, Pastor Nathan? Yeah, I think it gets back to Richard's comment. What exactly do we mean by resist? Because I think there are, it's clear from Scripture there are occasions in which Christians are justified in resisting tyranny. Uh, and I would argue the Revolutionary War was justified. Um, Spicy hot take. Uh, wow. <laughs> How much time we got left? What Scripture forbids is individual kind of insurrection. So, you know, if you go home and you don't want to, you don't think that your taxes should go to pay for abortion or your self-employment tax is way too high um, and you don't want to pay that, that's sin. Uh, but that's different than other 
avenues of resistance progressively to, well, if there is no change, there is some sort of justified formal resistance. I, I believe it can be supported by Scripture as well. It's just parsing that out with wisdom is what we keep going back to. Yep, wisdom and the understanding, right? I mean, Romans 13, the confession calls us to submit to governing authorities, but we don't have just one governing authority, right? We have uh, a president, we have Congress, we have um, the Supreme Court, right? And so uh, we can think of, all right, like we have local government, right? So we can say, all right, if our local government decides to resist tyranny, right? If, let's say we're living in California, um, and they enact an edict, right, that, you know, all businesses have to, um, and, and this is something, you know, Mackenzie and I have talked about, right, but the, if all businesses have to uh, affirm and serve in whatever way they promote business, right, uh, homosexual unions, wedding unions, right, obviously there is going to be some resistance, and how do we do that? Well, we don't just have to say, all right, we're not gonna do it, we're going to jail. We can also appeal to our local authorities, right? Our local uh, counties, our local mayors, you know, there's, that's the, some people call that the doctrine of the lesser magistrate, right? That we can appeal to those uh, lawfully, the lesser magistrate, our governing authorities to resist, and that way it's not just us resisting. So we're still respecting submitting to government authorities, but we're not just revolting individually and, and being rebellious. So, yeah. Yes, Charity. Oh, he's doing a podcast. Yes, so that's a great resource, right? Uh, shout out IRBS, right? Um, they, they did a, uh, I forget what the podcast name is. Theology in Particular. Theology in Particular did a uh, podcast episode, and I did listen to that one by Timothy Decker on Romans 13, um, which was really good, and he's got a book coming out. So, so what we're here to do this morning is sell books. So go buy Timothy Decker's book on Romans 13, but it sounds very interesting. So that's a great, great comment. Yes, Ethan. Um, I was thinking, like, talking about Germany, like, I was there four years ago when they had COVID. Like, how do we resist shutting down churches? Yeah. I yeah. mean, I know for one thing, John McCopper, he, he had his church wide open. And where did he live, right? California. California. And he resisted German. And, like, so I was thinking, how do we as Christians resist shutting down churches? Yep. Yeah. COVID, right? Revealed a lot of that. How do we resist um, the government getting into the matters of the church? Yeah. Do we do we just go to war, or do we do it in other ways? Do we resist? Yeah. Send a letter. Yeah. To your governor. Absolutely. Yes, charity.
Oh, that's a good idea. Mm. That's a good suggestion uh, Charity brought up, but you know, knowing, first of all, knowing your local governing authorities, whether that's your sheriff, your mayor, um, and you know, being willing to contact them, say, hey, we're praying for you, but also that coming before maybe complaining about some certain issue um, would, be, would be helpful. So, and we think about even in, in the Roman government, right? They were, they, their government, in some respects, was very similar to ours, where they were, I mean, Pontius Pilate was a local, uh, he wasn't Caesar, right? He was a local magistrate. Um, Herod was a local magistrate. Um, and so they had different sectors, and so you can appeal to that lower government. But I think those are all really good discussions, right? It's not, that's where we're taking the principle of Romans 13, and then we're saying, okay, how do we use wisdom and natural reason and uh, logic and have that inform our conscience, our understanding of right and wrong, and how do we act in resisting tyranny? Yes, Jason. Yeah. When you enlist in the military, you don't have that luxury of challenging leadership on a regular basis. Like, I'm on board with this, I'm not. Like, you are, you have a contract that you follow rank and order with what they tell you. <coughs> I mean, you can even be prosecuted in their system. And you can't fight war that way where it's like, I'm, I'm not on board with this mission. So that's a little sticky. It's not as black and white. And, and, and like I said earlier, you don't know the full extent. That water is just really muddy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. When you serve in military, you can't necessarily say no without consequences. But that's, I think that's the difference is when you, when you do say no, you do submit to the consequences, right? I mean, we see that in Jesus' example. where, And we'll talk about a couple examples, right, of resisting tyranny or resisting government authorities in Scripture. But one of the ways, you know, Jesus stood before uh, Pontius Pilate, and he refused to answer some questions, you know, so there was a little bit of resistance there. Um, now, obviously, he suffered the consequences, right? Um, and we see that the apostles as well, we'll just go straight there. Um, in Acts 5, when they're being told not to preach the gospel, and they say, well, we're told to obey God and not man, and they go out and preach the gospel, and many of them incur the consequences of gruesome deaths by that civil magistrate. So I do think, I think it's a really good discussion, right, but I do think that if you are a Christian and you're in the military, you have a unique opportunity to resist in very effective ways, right? When you're on the ground and they say, hey, you need to go kill this people group, and you're saying, well, hold up, like, they're not doing anything, they're being peaceful, like, why are we doing that? Um, And you resist, that's a, that's a big deal for, you know, what are the governing authorities going to do? Go and do it themselves? Probably not. You know, they're, they're trying to order people to do. But anyway, that, that's sort of, I mean, it's, it's, that's a great discussion and a good point. Uh, yeah, Sam? Yep, you're on the front line, so exactly, like Jason's point, your consequences, if you're in the military, of disobeying orders are going to be pretty, I mean, 
at, at minimum, you're going to be kicked out of the military, um, at minimum. So we do see some examples in scripture. Moving quickly here, we see the midwives in Egypt, right, resisting um, the Pharaoh's command to kill all the baby boys. Um, and they were like, nope, we're not going to do that. Um, we see Rahab resisting the governing authorities when they were coming looking for the spies that were um, spying out for Israel, right? She hid them and then she lied about it. That's a whole other discussion. But she resisted the government there. Um, Jonathan and David consistently resist King Saul, their lawful authority. Um, what's, you're seeing a recurring theme, though. Midwives, Rahab, Jonathan, David resisting King Saul, um, Paul ex- escaping the governor, right? It's all about protecting life, ultimately. Um, yes, Eileen? Yeah. Yeah, well, voting is definitely a way to, I mean, you may not say resisting, you may just be saying being a part of our, you know, like you said, we're not in a um, monarchy, we're not in a dictatorship, we are in a um, constitutional republic, and so we, and democracy, and so we get to be a part of um, that process. So yeah, I do think there is some regards to resisting tyranny through voting, but also just being a part of our uh, civil society, which is good. Yeah, that's a good point, yeah, voting. Um, Joseph and Mary flee Herod with Jesus, so there we see fleeing. I know, I think Richard mentioned fleeing. Um, Jesus is silenced before Pilate, um, and then Peter and the apostles say we must obey God rather than men. And this is not exhaustive, right? There are so many examples of Christians resisting uh, lawful governing authorities when they were going past their purview, uh, whether that's going into the church and say, hey, if they come into our church and say, you got to um, preach this gospel, right? You see this in China where, hey, we're going, we're going to institute a state-run church and you got to preach this thing. You can't say this, right? Um, we're not allowed to, we're, we are allowed to resist and we should resist. Um, COVID was a good example, right, where it's like, hey, you got to shut down your church for a whole year. Yeah, sorry, but that's not your purview. Um, that's the church's purview. That's why God instituted a church's government. Um, and then, you know, abortion would be a good example, right? Um, resisting uh, legislation that um, is pro-abortion because we are told to preserve life and we are to be, obey God and not man. And so when the government and the magistrate goes past their duties to promote good and punish evil, then we can lawfully resist. Um, Again, I think, I I love the fact that we're having discussion on this because, first of all, it's really fun, right, to think about these things. Um, But second of all, they're not black and white issues, right? These, These issues are very difficult to parse through and depends on, your situation, on the country's situation, and so it's important to be thinking about these things because definitely what 
I think is sort of undisputed is that COVID caught a lot of people off guard. COVID created this like vast, you know, uh, response and conversation by the church to be like, whoa, how do we respond to this? And so I think, you know, we, we need to be ahead of the curve when it comes to discussing these issues, specifically in regards, I think, to war. Uh, war is not at our doorstep right now. Um, cruel tyranny is not necessarily at our doorstep right now, um, but it could be in our lifetime. And so I think it's important to discuss these and look at the scriptural principles to how to handle that. Sam, you got something? Yeah, I think another like, theme that's important in my mind when looking at all these examples is like preserving life, it's preserving like the worship of God, but also it's sacrificial. Mm. Resisting tyranny is, is should be primarily sacrificial in its nature. Because like with the COVID example, um, like I think in my mind I've seen people protesting and resisting for reasons like there's like two groups that are doing the same thing. They're protesting masks, they're protesting shutdowns. And there's one group that I'm like, I'm totally 100% behind that because you're protesting shutting down churches. You're protesting not being able to meet in person because it's affecting, you know, the unity of the body of Christ and worship. But then there's other people who are protesting because they want to get and they don't like wearing a mask. And I think when it comes down to, like, resisting the, like, tyranny or resisting um, the magistrate people in power because of something that's, um, like, affecting what you're doing to provide safety and, like, a better life for other people. Like, with the example of Jesus, he didn't answer Pilate's question because he had died on the cross to save all of humanity from sin. Um, he wasn't doing that because he didn't like Pilate or he didn't, you know. So I think, like, sat, like the sacrificial attitude. An example that I really like is, like, Hacksaw Ridge, mm. um, that movie, um, yeah. with a conscientious objector he wasn't objecting to, like, he wouldn't even touch a gun. Mm. And he wasn't objecting to that because he was a coward. Uh, he was an anti-blood coward. He wasn't objecting to that because he didn't want to kill people. He was scared of that. He was objecting because his, his grounds were, everyone is taking life. I want to save life. And so he was, he had, he had a metal bomb without even touching a gun because he would go straight into gunfire to save people. And that was just primarily sacrificial. He was saving other people's lives through his Yeah, that's a great example, and and I think that's I mean that's a great um, way to finish because I think First Timothy two one through four does talk about you know the sort of governing ourselves first and governing right. If we talk about governments, one of those governments is self-government. How do we govern ourselves? And so First Timothy two one through four is a good summation of this. It says first of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. And that gets to, you know, understanding like, hey, we need to live godly and dignified ourselves before we start going out and resisting um, the government. And this is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is a testimony given at the proper time. So again, ruling yourself in a godly and dignified way. Um, how do we, uh, the Heidelberg 
confession, not confession, Heidelberg Catechism, question number one, uh, talks about, you know, Christ breaking the tyranny of the devil. And so if we're talking about the most important tyranny, it's the tyranny of the devil. It's the tyranny of unbelief. It's being a slave to sin. And so we have to conquer that first. And that is what I would say is the biggest weapon of the church and of the people of God, is to call others to repent and to call them to Christ to be saved by him. Um, and yes, after that primary job and primary role, we can resist the governing authorities, but we have to have that in check first. Of We have to have resisted and conquered the tyranny of the devil first. Um, so that's a great, great ending comment. Um, yeah, Hacksaw Ridge, that's a, that's a very interesting discussion and, and um, about conscientious objectors and that kind of thing. But anyway, great discussion, love it. I know you may think, all right, you may leave a little bit unsatisfied, right? Okay. We didn't solve this, or we didn't solve this, or I don't know, I felt like maybe we just didn't discuss this as much, right? But I think the confession only has three paragraphs on this subject, and it's, it's not exhaustive, but it gives principles found in Scripture for how we are to do the heavy work and the heavy lifting to thinking about how do we um, deal with the governing authorities and the civil magistrate? How do we as Christians uniquely live under their rule that's ordained by God um, and most importantly, how do we live if we are called to serve in the civil government? Um, so, great discussion. Thanks for uh, asking lots of good questions and providing commentary. Let me uh, close with a word of prayer. Father, um, who is sufficient for these things, Lord? We, we know that um, only your wisdom um, that, that you give to us is sufficient to uh, solve some of these difficult issues. Um, so, Lord, we just pray that you would... Um, enable us to be, first of all, um, servants of you, um, to, be, to live godly and dignified, um, to focus on our own sanctification and growth and holiness, um, and that through those things that if we are called to um, resist um, the governing authorities that you've instituted over us um, for lawful reasons, that we would do so again in a godly and righteous way um, that we would call um, not just the government but all people to repentance and faith in you lord um, so pray for all these things lord in jesus name amen